We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. If you're feeling charitable during the Christmas season, we love reading your reviews, so feel free to leave us some of those. I'm joined today by my colleague, Christopher Bedford, senior editor at The Federalist, also co-founder of Right Forge. Chris, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, thanks for having me, Emily. It's good to be back. And... Uh... But one of us is going to have to go home and change. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, Chris and I are uh, actually live streaming and apparently we're in the same Christmas sweater. Yeah, we're Irish knit. It's a, it's a popular thing. It's an important part of Christmas. But um, but you're going to have to go home and change. because I, I'm really against matching Christmas cards. I'm really against like children can match. Sure, but not adults. It's unseemly. What's funny is that we are both home. This is a virtual podcast, so uh, <laughs> either of us could have changed at any moment before recording. Uh, but you can't spell Christmas without Chris, and that's an important note as we start this episode, which we're going to begin by talking about just the importance of tradition to Christmas um, in general. Um, but this is going to be a cooking episode because, as you know, Chris is passionate, and as our regular listeners know, Chris is sort of deeply passionate about the the essential role that food and that cooking your own food plays in the uh, plays in our the life of a community and the life of a family and that's sort of unusually serious for a comment directed at Christopher Bedford but it is true and this is the season tis the season in fact uh, but Chris you have a full kind of meal that you want to walk us through um, but you just start by telling us what you're thinking of right now in terms of adhering to the traditions that you've held to uh, through your long, long, <laughs> long life. I was Christmas just going to say, that was, such a, that was a long period of time for you to go without making fun of me or insulting me in some way. Uh, yeah, but, had to happen. But, watch your mouth or I'll give you Omicron. The, <laughs> uh, Christmas God, I'm so glad we're virtual right now <laughs> because that's a threat to take seriously. I'm invincible, him. actually. Um, <laughs> also, <clears throat> COVID's a social construct. The... There's so many different sights and smells and familial things and, 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 and sounds that all come together to like to make Christmas. It's not just something that you remember simply from the meal or simply from the song or simply from the gift or simply from the family member. It's, it's all encompassing. Uh, the When you're a child, you've, you've got all the the hopes and the dreams and the wants and the, and the looking out the window at night for, for the Rudolph's Red Nose uh, when you're going home from your grandparents or your uncles or just out your own window. Um, and, and then you get a little older and you start to really respect, remember if you're a child, maybe the movies that you watched or something, they put you in a back room. And when you're a little older, the family and especially those, we all, if we're fortunate enough, have family who've, who've gone before us, who we spent a lot of Christmases with, who's, who are synonymous with it, who kind of made that in our, in our minds. And for me, I was fortunate enough to have a, a grandfather, Papa, who had a record player. So we'd go to his house. Uh, just oh, the big tree would always be lit. The fire would be roaring because we lived uh, up north in, in Massachusetts. But also, he'd be playing Bing Crosby uh, on his on his record player, and th those are the, some of the sounds and some of the old Irish songs as well that really inform like my, my Christmas. I, I have no time for all I want for Christmas is you or last Christmas I gave you my heart and the very next day you gave it away. I don't want just. I mean, some people love those songs; they really do. Like but, me. The, uh, yeah, but, but I mean, for me, it's, um, I don't want songs that are just putting in the word Christmas and otherwise a romance song. I, I want songs like, 
even if it's just Bing Crosby, which is a secular song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. I know that's older than Bing, but he is the best. Um, there's so many sights and sounds and tastes and memories and, and feelings that they talk about in that song that, that are specific to Christmas that you couldn't write about springtime. You couldn't just write about 4th of July. Uh, that's important. Uh, a real tree, if you can, I mean, I know that those are getting more and more expensive, so not everyone has the option, but uh, a real tree is a, a, a smell that's just really part of this. And then the baking and the cooking, I mean, uh, it's, it's probably like significantly more normal to make Christmas cookies for with your kids. But since I'm a childless shrew and a Scrooge, I have to make them by myself or with my neighbors and neighboring over their kids. And like the snowman cookies and the peanut butter cookies with the Hershey Kisses, those are or whatever your mother made, basically, uh, or whatever people around you made when you were growing up. Those are the sights, smells, sounds. And then, of course, there's the church and the hymns that you sing at church. And then uh, and the I saw you were decorating out. last night. Oh, yeah, we were decorating the church. And that, that's a that's a hazardous job because you were decorating I mean, the sanctuary. Yeah, we were decorating the sanctuary, decorating. Uh, we hung a wreath for the Monsignor's balcony at the rectory. We, were, we hung a wreath. Uh, so some of this stuff is you have to get pretty high and, you know, the average Catholic church is like not super new, at least any Catholic church worth going to. Uh, he means typically. that literally and, and not figuratively for those who <laughs> may be confused and given the messenger in this case. <laughs> yeah. But dangling over the edge of the choir balcony with like a 50, a 40 pound artificial wreath, trying to hang it on like an 85 year old screw that has wire wrapped around it from dozens of Christmases before and hoping the guy next to you can grab you if you slip. Um, I'm hoping that took a, at least a few weeks off of purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what you're talking about, I think, really is the way in which Christmas serves as a connective tissue between uh, past and present. This is not something that we sort of get to revel in every single day. Christmas is a special time where what makes us feel warm is uh, family and is tradition. And um, that's important because I think, you know, we're talking about cooking in this episode and Chris has some recipes to share. Um, he is truly a master chef and I don't like to give him compliments, but I can uh, vouch for him on that. Um, it's something he, he cares a lot about and, and has mastered. Um, very much so. But when the pandemic first started, a lot of people uh, reacted by learning to bake bread. Um, and that's serious. I mean, this was a huge... It was hard to find yeast. This is a huge trend on TikTok at the time. Um, by the way, TikTok is uh, a, a devil, the, the devil's social media platform. But uh, this was a big trend on TikTok. It was a trend on Instagram. It was like the influencers were all in on baking their own bread. Um, and we were sort of thrust in that immediate uncertainty of March 2020 and April 2020 um, into this weird phase where we were kind of thinking about how to be self-sufficient. Um, and a lot of people experienced the importance or the realization of how important it is to be self-sufficient because the government may not always be there for us. And what ensued was two years of chaos. Um, and by the way, the government should not necessarily always be there for us. Um, and corporations shouldn't always be there for us. But this, this sort of modern infrastructure, the infrastructure of modern life in, in uh, 21st century America will not always be there for us. So we cannot count on it. And I think there was something very ancient about the impulse that uh, surfaced in that month. And now as uh, all of the experts are warning us of another surge that should keep us apart um, and keep us from worship and keep us from all of these traditions, um, 
people are, I think, probably in a similar place. And Chris, I'm curious as to your take on why it is cooking. I think there's a very obvious reason. And, and if you hear Chris's cat in the background, he's he's not going to cook the cat. He's uh, a friend to the cat. But <laughs> in there, if you're watching the live stream, you see him. Hey, Buster. Um, Chris, cooking is a, a part of Christmas. It's a part of tradition in general for so many families and for so many people what are the benefits what are the sort of therapeutic benefits of uh cooking as a tradition especially around the holidays you know i've got some memories that are definitely associated with you know maybe this is a night a year before we have a vacation or something we get takeout pizza or rainy nights you go to the local pizza place to get something or chinese food on a sunday there's lots of different things but Largely, you're not going to be able to get that kind of feeling of tradition and family and bonding that you're going to get through cooking. Uh, I'm a person who can be occasionally grumpy and irritable, as you, <laughs> might, you might have noticed, um, uh, very some, stubborn at certain things. So one of the ways that I can show my friends love and my family love and one of the ways that I can really show them how much I care about them. Hold on a second. Is the, by, uh, by silencing your phone. <laughs> you know, it is silence. But it's a, it's a signal call, so I don't know how to turn it off. Oh, boy. But one of the ways that you can really have that impact is by cook. I, I do by cooking for them, which is one of the reasons why they can stand me and tolerate me. It's uh, bringing them to the table. But cooking so personal because it's something that you do yourself. You put the time in. You craft the recipes. You do the prep work. You get things ready. And, and then you serve it, and you eat last. And you have watched. And sometimes, sometimes it's a disaster. I've had a couple... Not great moments. I was excited to to hear Chris Christopher Kimball on on the Federal Radio Hour talking that saying that sometimes he's had holiday meals that have not turned out exactly as he'd hoped. But either way, he's got you get those memories, and it's and everyone chips in. I mean, sometimes it's only so many chefs in the kitchen, but for us, it's a it's a rib roast, and that's my I think. And you've got the prime rib. I think it's a Wisconsin thing. The I love it. it differentiates itself. You don't. No one's going to make a rib roast for July Fourth or St. Patrick's Day. You don't. Turkey for Thanksgiving, <laughs> um, you know, cheeseburgers for, for maybe Labor Day. The, the, rib, the rib roast or the, or the prime rib has a kind of a special place for, for Christmas time. And sometimes I've done the beef wellington. That's a lot of work, but it can be wonderful. Anyways, that, that kind of red meat stuff or maybe even a Christmas goose uh, if, you, if you have access to a farm-raised goose. But everyone chips in and, and people chip in recipes. I got my original recipe from a friend of mine, Jason Fowler, who shared it with us. And now every Christmas we, we extend, we, we, we shoot notes back and forth. And he's, he's a lawyer, but he's also got a very mechanical mind. So he sends me his charts with his different probes where he's been trying different temperatures, doing low and slow and seeing how long it takes to cook the rib roast and just tracking it like a scientist. I don't do that remotely. I'm not remotely <laughs> intelligent enough to do that. There is uh, not a scientific bone in Chris's body. <laughs> No, aside from being, you know, uh, a tech executive, of course, the I am largely suspicious of technology. Tech executive. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's too funny. <laughs> I, I've actually almost managed to make my iPhone work. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. The uh, so I'm doing a rib roast this year, and it's a mixture where I take um, some rosemary and thyme and garlic, and then one of my one of my favorite ingredients in America and in the world is horseradish, and blend them together. I think a dry aged rib roast. Kind of talking to your to your thing earlier about the difficulty of getting good meat. Uh, last year, you couldn't the, the restaurants couldn't really get dry aged meat. So unless you went to a place that was specifically dry aging it, the providers weren't doing that because there was such a breakdown in the supply chains, such a backup that they 
people, they just needed to get things out the door. And I, uh, Christmas is important. I wanted to be able to beat myself again this year. So I actually called a chef friend of mine, Maryland chef, Brian Voltaggio, uh, and said, can you, can you get some meat for me? <laughs> can you get a big rib roast? And he put it in his aging rooms. Uh, so it was actually still able to do that for my family. And this year I'm doing it myself. I have a beer cooler downstairs that just, you know, one of those ones with the racks in it that have sanitized very well, wiped down with vinegar and, and everything. And then I, I have a seven bone rib roast that's been in there now for about 30 days or so, just getting the dry aged crust on it. And afterwards, I'm going to cover it with the rosemary and the thyme and the garlic. And I'm going to, here's, here's a key if you're doing a rib roast with the bones in. You want to cut those bones off before you cook it. Now that sounds sacrilegious, but hear me out. You cut just along the bone with a knife that it's okay if you touch the bone. So a sharp knife, but not one that's really delicate. And you try to keep it all into one piece, the, all, all the ribs in the one piece. If you have a three bone rack, four bone rack, it'll be easier than a seven one. Or, um, this one's going to be tough. And then you, you put it back together and you tie it. But you use that rib rack as basically, you know, when you buy a roasting pot uh, that keeps it so the drippings can drop down from your, from your roast without actually burning or coagulating. And you can still get the, the cook evenly all around in every surface. You use the, the, the ribs themselves as that roasting rack. But the reason why you cut them off beforehand and then tie them back on is when that thing's 110 degrees or 120 degrees, your roast, it really sucks to cut the bones off. <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> painful and it's extremely messy. So just do it beforehand, tie them back together, rub your seasoning on the whole thing. And then as long as you can spend cooking your roast, the better. I mean, if you can get that temperature down low enough, I think um, I probably cook mine at about 100, uh, bring it up to 110 degrees. Let me see, I got some notes here. I think last year I, I, I went to 325, but you can get even lower, definitely do lower because I was running low on time last year. It'll take hours and hours. I might go for 250 as my friend Jason has done before. Bring it up to 110 degrees and then broil it for five minutes to give it that crust that you want. And you remove that and you let it rest. Don't forget, like, I know this is the hardest part about the holidays. Grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, whoever, they're yelling in the background, eat it while it's hot. <laughs> Everyone just step away. Use whatever delaying tactics you want. Keep them away and let it rest. Let those muscles relax. Let the meat relax and let the juices flow back into it. Things that have been constricted because you've been literally cooking it with fire for, for hours now. One second, it'll make a huge difference in your meat. And then cut the ropes and, and, and you'll be able to slice it thin at this point and put out the bones for, for the animals in your house to chew on. And not the animals, not dogs like, you know, uncles and nephews. Don't give the bones to dogs once they've been cooked or, or you will regret it in the morning. <laughs> and then you take all those drippings and you mix them with some, I mix them with some white wine uh, and basically uh, white wine and some flour and make a, a sauce out of that to put on the roast. So there are a lot of people honestly don't use the roast. Um, they don't use the, the gravy. They just, they just eat the meat just fine as it is. And what are you pairing the roast with this year? Uh, that's a little bit up to my guests, but I'm really, really pushing somebody to make wonderful mashed potatoes. Those mashed potatoes are like one part cream, one part butter, one part potato. Uh, those things <laughs> go really wonderfully with it. I think green beans are, you need something, you need something that's got a little bit of crispness to it. Cause the How, do you, do you blend your mashed potatoes when you make them? I always outsource my mashed potatoes to uh, our mutual friend, Daniel Turner. Oh, I thought I, you were going to say a woman. 
No, no. I, I, I'm one of, I'm one of those guys who's like, you know, old fashioned people think that women should do the cooking, but like super old fashioned people think that women shouldn't be allowed in the kitchen. You think, yeah, you're, you're the latter. Yeah. <laughs> you think, yeah. You think women should, should buy the, well, no, you think women should make the drinks. <laughs> yeah. So some, some of the cocktails I'll be making a hot buttered rum, which I cannot wait for. It's, you can look it up online, these different recipes. You cannot mess them up, but we have a recipe for, and, we have a recipe for your hot buttered rum from last year up on our site. So if folks are interested, um, we can post a, a link to that as well. Oh, were you coming up in the anniversary, Emily, of when we did the, we are, when we did the drinking show and I accidentally gave you a shot of Captain Morgan's rum. Well, yeah, you told me it was something else. And it, it a shot of, you know, you're at the, if you're at the shore and you've already had a couple of shots, a shot of Captain Morgan goes down just fine. If you're told that it's bourbon, <laughs> My Not bad. so much. Merry Christmas, Emily. Yeah, that's a video that's <laughs> up on our page as well. Uh, so, I mean, obviously wine, but I, you also want something that really gives, that's, that's got a crisp to it with all that. Um, so maybe broccoli or roasted asparagus. And don't steam any of this stuff. Either saute it or bake it in olive oil and salt and pepper and garlic. But with mashed potatoes and then beef and then something that's got a crisp to it. And also, um, my mother has a really great recipe for uh, cream of broccoli soup with cheddar, which I've requested. And, it's, and the, the cool thing about that is unlike maybe clam chowder or French onion soup or these other different soups, it's really easy to get the ingredients for cream of broccoli. You can get it at Costco. You can get it at, the, you can get it at BJ's. You can get it wherever you want. Um, but I do recommend getting to the store as early as possible because <laughs> last year I had a near violent road rage incident in the Costco parking lot that was really tough on the Christmas spirit of um, of the passengers in my car. We're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the principled and tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving. The Economist recently reported American philanthropy is going woke and predominantly funding liberal causes. Do you want to help counterbalance this influence? If so, consider listening to Giving Ventures. It'll give you an idea of the liberty-minded organizations working to erase the heavy hand of government so individuals can prosper and thrive. Giving Ventures is a new podcast designed to help donors and prospective donors discover new opportunities to change the world for the better. Twice a month, the Giving Ventures podcast highlights several nonprofit efforts initiatives, and projects that leverage private philanthropy to solve public problems. Giving Ventures was joined recently by former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, now president of Young America's Foundation, where, in full disclosure, I also work, who shared with us what he's doing to preserve President Reagan's legacy and instill in future generations a similar love of God and country. In an earlier episode, J.P. DeGantz, president and CEO of Comunio, joined us to discuss what he's doing to strengthen marriages across the country. And Nikki Neely, president of Parents Defending Education, told us what she's doing to help parents engage with their local school boards. The show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor-advised fund helping conservative and libertarian givers simplify, protect, and grow their giving. The team at Donors Trust regularly engages with policy groups, student organizations, academic centers and civil society nonprofits that endeavor to limit government, grow personal responsibility, and strengthen free enterprise. If you care about the principles of liberty and if charitable giving is an important part of your life, Giving Ventures is the podcast for you. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and catch up on the latest episode by visiting donorstrust.org slash podcast. That's donorstrust.org slash podcast. 
Uh, Chris, I want to ask about uh, how you serve the Christmas dinner, and that may seem like a triviality, but I think for you, you actually take the sort of course uh, transition or the the moving through the courses seriously. So what is that process like when you're facilitating the dinner? Um, what do you start with appetizer-wise, and then how do you move through the meal? So my, 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 I start off with uh, the cheese course, and this is also the course where you can put, you know, Uncle Terry's shrimp or whatever else out there. I call them that because Uncle Terry, a uh, phenomenal man, is, great Uncle Terry, is an expert at finding the spot right next to the shrimp bowl and just sitting there. <laughs> yeah, that's his favorite part of Christmas. But I put out the cheeses, and you're going to want to rest. You want to, even if you're just getting your cheeses from the local grocery store as opposed to like a cheesemonger or something, you're going to want to give the ones that are not soft, the harder ones, uh, some time to breathe and some time to get down to room temperature because cheddar cheese, uh, Dublin cheddar cheese is phenomenal but it's going to be a lot better at 60, 70 degrees, 65 degrees, and it is going to be at 35 or whatever you have your refrigerator to. And I actually go for, these are widely available now because one of the good things, they're not all bad, of globalism, is that you can actually usually get products from all over the world. Some of them might be stuck uh, on boats right now outside of LA or outside of Baltimore, but a lot of them are coming through. And I like to do English cheeses at Christmas, like um, ones with cranberries in it or, or Irish cheddars. I got a Welsh cheddar this year, um, which is going to be interesting, maybe a little bit too pungent for some people. Um, one of my favorites is brie. You take a, a, roll, a, a wheel of brie. You don't need to go out and get the really fancy stuff. And then peel off the skin of the top, uh, the, the wax on the top, and then cover it in brown sugar mixed with – you take some brown sugar, some walnuts, and some butter – and blend them together over some heat and then smear them on top of the cheese. Um, and you can put some raisins or, or some cranberries, whatever you else on top of that and serve that heated baked is an absolute favorite of mine. Uh, and it, this can be a luxury. It's, it's difficult, really difficult sometimes to coordinate everyone to get them all together uh, for, to sit down for this. But if you can, if you do have the luxury to get your family to sit down and you can sit down for this course, and as opposed to just having it out on the table, put it out with champagne or a martini or a couple of beers or whatever people are drinking. I've found that the actual sit down cheese plate course is like so much more appreciated than just the grab and walk and grab by stuff. It's just, it is really difficult to get to a place where you could do that when you're busy and you're hosting, depends on how many people are there. And then you have the soups and things that come out and Christmas likes Thanksgiving is one of those holidays where you don't eat at dinner time and you don't eat at lunchtime. So most often you don't, it's kind of like a, starts in the mid-afternoon after church and presents, and then it goes later and later and later with different courses. And then maybe the soup course. And after that, meanwhile, the whole time, by that point, you're really cooking. And when I do the, when I do the rib roast and have the drain the blood and everything, I usually bring it out either on a big board or on a big serving platter. I'm not sure because this is the biggest one I've done yet. Uh, and slice it really thin with a get your knives sharpened if you're using good knives. I hadn't sharpened mine since COVID because I can't stand the COVID policies of Union Market. <laughs> so I finally just sucked it up and went back there uh, and cannot uh, cannot say how good it is to have sharp knives in time for Christmas. Although it does increase the chances that you'll get cut. And Madeline, uh, coming with swinging here on us. It's fantastic. Chris, have you seen this movie, Knives Out? No, but the preview looks really good. And I said to myself when I saw the preview, I should watch that movie. And then that was the last I heard of it. 
Yes. So um, our colleague, Madeline Osborne, um, sent a question in on a live stream saying, is Chris's sweater the one from Knives Out? And I then put a picture of it up on the screen of the live stream screen. Madeline replies, yep, thought so. Um, it actually does, Chris, look like you're trying to be <laughs> the character. This is a very famous sweater, by the way. It became sort of a pop culture icon. Um, it's a it's exactly the sweater Chris is wearing pretty much like the it's fisherman. A, it's called an Irish knit sweater. And I, I think it's older than uh, Knives Out. But I, I do appreciate the comparison, Madeline. Now the problem is I, is I really want a beer and they're kind of in the fridge because I see it right there. And I'm immediately motivated by by visuals, things like that. Like if somebody smokes or, or a butt or, or has a beer in a movie, I'm like, I'm just like, I want one of those. I want one of those people that Hollywood executives just target. Yeah. Um, and so the, the only other thing I'll say about this is you're also following in the footsteps of an, an equally famous Chris, Chris Evans. So there's Chris Bedford and there's That's Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. That's Chris Evans. Yep. Well, maybe when he grows up, he can be as handsome as I am. Someday. Um, now, Chris, we have a uh, we do have another question here, and um, it is I think you'll actually like this question. It is. Do you bone the roast before cooking or slicing? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I bone do you debone the roast uh, before I, before cooking or slicing? I debone the roast before I cook it just because it's so much easier to handle and it's and it's it's fairly easy to cut and it's a lot less messy or at least the messiness you can. You can wash off, but then I do tie the roast back on to the bones and use that in the pan in the pot as as my as my rack as my roasting rack. So the drippings can go underneath it and it can still cook all the way around. Uh, but that way, when I'm done cooking and done resting, I can remove those bones easily and then cut them into individual bones for those people who who like the fine art of gnawing on them. Noted. <laughs> okay, so you are starting with your cheese course, um, and after that, how many courses do you do? Oh, for Christmas, it's usually just two or th two or three plus dessert. So I guess four. Jeez, all I don't right. think of it as one of those big fancy court meals because it's kind of an all-day affair. It's not just like sit down and uh, and go around. And, and of course, if you count the Irish coffee as the first course, then maybe five. And <laughs> your des what dessert do you go with? The dessert, I, my favorite. I mean, so my favorites are probably uh, apple uh, crisp and raspberry pies. But uh, the dessert, since I always, I, I'm hyper focused on the roast, and I outsource as much as I can to other people for Christmas time. Because usually, if you're if you're fortunate and you're not too freaked out by Omicron, you've got a couple of guests coming over, and each if you if you have someone who knows and cares about mashed potatoes, like really that, that that's their dish, that's what they're bringing. And you, and you say make the mashed potatoes, that's their hyper-focus, then you're going to get much better mashed potatoes than if you're just cooking five different things and that's just one of them. And if you tell someone, listen, you're in charge of the pies, you're in charge of dessert, uh, and yet you have to make sure these are trusted people because, I mean, I got <laughs> one, of my, one of my best friends, Lee, she's, she always signs up to do the appetizers, which is great. She always brings good appetizers, but she's got a bunch of kids and, and a husband, so she's usually like 40 minutes late. So it's like you got you to figure out, like, well, maybe you should do desserts. The um, and then play to people's strengths, and then of course those folks that like you know they're not going to make the great dessert, or they're not going to make pick out great cheeses, they're not going to make mashed potatoes. Just put them on beer and wine, mm. and if you need to, be specific. <laughs> Some people, you know, they benefit from instructions, and I can see it can be intimidating. You tell you tell someone to pick up beer, and they walk into the supermarket, 
and there's like 500 different colors of beer and they've got no idea which one it is. And then they show up with like, I don't know, Mexican raspberry beer. So be specific. <laughs> Uh, well, so as we're winding down here, remember, you can always send us questions to radio at the You can ask Chris questions about his recipes at radio at the and we'll uh, do our best to get back to you. But uh, Chris, again, as we're winding down, can you tell us what the and, and this is always very intentional at dinners that you throw. And I only imagine on Christmas how much more so that is um, it, this isn't something I mean, I, I grew up like really not on Christmas, but in general, like we, we did a lot of dinner with TV, which I love and it's why partially why i love tv i, I associate it with uh you know having fun That's... with my family and and having uh, spaghetti on monday nights and watching fear factor um but <laughs> um I, you're very intentional about people sitting down and uh sitting through courses and having good conversation and making this a, a not just sort of living e eating to live but uh you know making it a part of why we're alive because it's about time with each other it's about nature um it's about our relationship with each other and with nature. And I'm curious as to what you do with Christmas meals to be very purposeful and very intentional about the ritual of Christmas dinner. Well, there's a lot uh, that I, I'm totally with you. Like I don't have a TV in my main room. You have to go into the basement to be able to watch television. And, and that can be a great spot to watch Christmas movies. And it can be a great spot to park a bunch of kids during Christmas movies who are otherwise running around or maybe if it's rainy out or they don't want to be outside for whatever reason. So a great, great thing for that. But for, for Christmas meals, I mean, there's a couple things that make it special. One, you, you should ask people to dress up for Christmas. Just as, just as much as you should ask people to dress up for Easter or for Thanksgiving. There's a million different things that um, we, this current generation of Americans feels comfortable going into public dressed as in sweatpants and talking about. And if you say to someone, hey, why are you in that sweatsuit on an airplane? They say, I'm comfy. And it's like, OK, fine, whatever. But this is Christmas. So I, I am entirely in favor of, of sweatsuits on airplanes, by the way. <laughs> I know it's um, 20, one, of your, one of your many terrible characteristics. Yeah. The, but uh, you tell people, like, you know, to tell people to dress up and ask people to, to bring their best. Make sure you should do this before every meal. But make sure that somebody says the blessing before you all sit down to eat. And remember that it's not just about presence and it's not just about all the food and and, and the shrimp and the, and the everything else it's it's this is about god and this is about the light of the light of the lord entering and a new age uh for mankind hmm. the wonderful things that we have and you know not everyone sometimes some of us are going to be having a harder christmas this year than we would like there are some of us who may not be able to sell there are some of us who may not be able to celebrate christmas there are people who are stuck alone because of omicron or because of some other disease or because of some other factor and there are people who, despite the fact that a lot of our wars have, have wound down, are still on that wall at Christmas, are still on that barracks, are still out uh, in the field, who are still, you see the police officers go by and the firemen go by and the ambulance drivers go by when you're in a busy street at Christmas time, those people. Um, so think about them and be grateful if you're able to sit down and, and, and be with folks. And then, you know, this is a smaller thing, but all that fancy stuff that you may or may not have been handed down, if you've got grandma's china that just collects dust in the cabinet, or the, the crystal glasses that may some, some folks have that, that have been passed down through family that are never used, well, use them. <laughs> this is an opportunity. Use them. Uh, take out the special, the special dishes that you have. I mean, there's so many nights of the year where we just use what we have, use the things that are easy to wash, everything else. But um, Christmas is one of those holidays where 
I, I try to take out the stuff that I've got, which not everyone does, because it's part of our family tradition, and make sure that that gets at least its one, one, uh, one use of the year out of it uh, on those special days. So it's interesting to have this conversation with Chris around Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm, I'm hardly as stringent about sort of the, the traditions of cooking and eating. Oh, and, um, and light candles. And light candles, okay. Uh, but but one thing that's definitely always important to to my family, and one of the questions somebody just submitted, when is Emily going to jam out in those guitars, or are they only for looks? Well, in the live stream, you can see my uh, guitars behind me. I'm, I'm not a, uh, an especially talented musician, um, but uh, it's sort of passed down to me. Um, and Chris, I, I wonder what... Uh, what music you play you're you always have music in your house um, but what music do you play for Christmas dinner for appetizers um, this is actually something you are again very intentional about uh, but but what do you play when guests are are mingling um, and do you play anything while people are eating so I've got a mix of all these different uh, memories that I, I use for Christmas and some of it's from my grandfather on my father's side some of it's from my grandfather on my mother's side and some of it's just from family lineage and growing up in Massachusetts and the and traditions. So I have a, the mixer I've made on Pandora, which I know you make fun of me for using. <laughs> the tech executive Christopher Bedford, the mix I've made on Pandora, Pandora. Uh, is a mixture of Bing Crosby's Christmas and the Chieftains, which are a great Irish band whose founder just passed this year. Their Christmas music, which is wonderful, um, and also uh, Luciano Pavarotti. And that Italian opera that my grandfather, my father's side, brought as a as a, a important part of Christmas, and I don't try. I never turn the music off um, during during eating. But some people, I think they've got a good point, do switch to music that has no lyrics during eating. Uh, you can yeah. put on the the great thing is you can put on your local classical station and the nonprofit, whatever that is in your area, and they're going to have Christmas themed music that can be really wonderful with less distraction, or at least you can just turn it down. But you know, I don't think that there's any atmosphere in the entire world that's made better simply by the sound of 12 humans eating. <laughs> I felt like a little bit Ew. something else. <laughs> exactly. A little bit something else to keep it going. And that candlelight's important for conversation and for feeling and for that feeling of warmth, even if you're in Florida or someplace that's not cold, because it, it still just illuminates people's faces and it draws just like, you know, we're attracted to fire. That's why you could go out and have a bonfire and stare at it for hours. But, uh, Having that thing that's right in the middle of the table illuminates the company's faces and draws people in toward it and the conversation and toward the food and just adds a special touch that if you're not going to do it every year, because I know candles are pricey, uh, do it every day, then do it at Christmas. Yeah, you know, and, and again, like I said, I'm not particularly uh, stringent about this or intentional about this, but I do like to go uh, without lyrics for Christmas in general, because I think, you know, there's 365 days, 64 days a year where our culture is sort of obsessed with uh, lyrics. And uh, we we have sort of lost our interest in instrumental music. Um, and if we can at least appreciate and enjoy it at Christmas, um, that's, I, I think, important. Um, I go with jazz, actually. I go with a little, little Christmas jazz, um, uh, lyricless jazz. I, th I think that's something that sets the mood very well. And again, an, an underappreciated American art. Um, but it's, it's you know, even even though I'm not as strict about all of this as Chris or as intentional about all of this as Chris, I think we can agree and maybe we can end on this point that um, 
being intentional about traditions, both creating and observing traditions um, around the holidays can tie us to why those holidays are important. And that is the connective tissue that reminds us that this is a holiday about uh, family, about community, and about Christ. Um, and when you do observe tradition, it sort of sparks that nostalgia. And nostalgia is often something that connects us to the good right? It's, it's what connects us to the best of our memories and can make us want to create good in the present because it's what we're remembering from the past. And you're completely right, Emily. And, and the thing to remember that's important here is that tradition takes work. Uh, it mm-hmm. doesn't just happen. It isn't just handed down. Those things can gather dust in boxes or be neglected or be forgotten. Those songs can people that your grandfather played is, might not be played. So it takes it takes actual conscious effort to go back and find, uh, like my great grandmother, who would have been 113 this week, find her pudding <laughs> recipe, get that from my great aunt, uh, her last her last surviving daughter, and 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 make that for Christmas. Uh, keep those keep those songs that they sang, and it and it takes a person in the family because you'll notice that well mm. everyone in the family loves it, so it takes certain people's certain like from from in my family it was my mother who was really just a bonding person who made sure everyone got together at Christmas. And when she moved away uh, during the wintertime, my Uncle John stepped in, and he's the person who now bears that and tries to keep those traditions alive. And I'm down here in Washington, D.C. I'm fortunate to have my parents visiting me, uh, and now it's, it falls to me to be that person. So it, it, it does take active participation. Tradition just doesn't just continue. Uh, it's, it's difficult to maintain, which is what makes the job of a conservative uh, diff- difficult sometimes is to conserve society, conserve tradition, to unite us, the present, the future and the past. Uh, it takes conscious effort, but it is absolutely worth it. And that's why Christmas is, is one of my favorite times of the year. You know, and I'll just add, I think it's also the reason that Christmas is so popular on a secular level, um, of course, aside from the the wonders of getting gifts, um, that's that's always nice, uh, is because there is this deep, deep longing um, for tradition. And even if you have no family traditions, even if you observe Christmas mostly as a secular person, I mean, how many secular people go to church on Christmas? Um, it's, it's kind of amazing. I think the real attraction there is the tradition. Um, if, if folks aren't believers in Christ, there is something that feels right about the tradition of being at mass or being at church on Christmas and the music itself. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You is a relatively new song, um, but and Chris hates it. But the reason people like it is because they hear it every year. And it's that spark of nostalgia, that spark of tradition. People watch movies. They do all of these things. And that's what Christmas is. Of course, it has that aesthetic warmth and the substance of warmth to it. But I, I do think that even people who are sort of floating in the existential ether of modernity, they, they're attracted to Christmas because it is that, that it tethers them to something that is a tradition. It sparks nostalgia. It sparks emotion. Sometimes for people, it's bad emotion. Um, sad things have happened around Christmas or Christmas reminds them of what is missing. Yeah. But I, I think that's where our culture is so powerful 
powerfully tethered to Christmas. Yes, there's the commercial aspect of it that we get things we want. Um, and there's there's drinking and fun and food. But even, you know, secular people find themselves um, immersed in this tradition of bringing nature into their home. Chris has a real Christmas tree behind him. There's something sort of therapeutic about that as well. And I, I think that explains our, our cultural obsession with Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Christopher Bedford, who now wants to be identified as a tech executive because he's a co-founder at RightForge. Of course, he's a senior editor at The Federalist. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor at The Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. We hope you have a very, very Merry Christmas. Until we see you again, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. <laughs>